The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Know His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world Falls around me I rest And know That He has found me Christ the rock Is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. About 10 years ago now, I published a podcast entitled, The Problem of Evil. These many years later, I think that it's time that I should approach the subject yet again. For one thing, it was the first podcast episode I had ever done, and consequently, being new at it, the quality could vastly be improved. But more importantly, more than any other subject, the question of the existence of evil is one which has been and continues to be a major stumbling block for many. Throughout history, men and women have looked at the situation of life and asked the question, why does God permit evil? In this episode, by God's grace, I hope to better answer this question. Let's pray. Father, 
we earnestly come before you this day and we ask you lord to open our minds and, and to open our hearts to pour out your spirit upon us and give us spiritual discernment to help us remove those things within us which preclude us from understanding those things about your nature which you want us to understand lord we just pray that you will give life to our spirit to our hearts into our minds so that we might understand your nature and that we might understand our relationship to you in jesus name amen when we look at the landscape of human history as well as our own history what do we see well, from one perspective, we see war, hunger, suffering, sickness, and death. We experience difficult things, such as the death of a child, uh, the death of a spouse, or a loved one. We see terminal sickness of people with cancer and other terrible diseases. We see people being abused and sometimes killed by their fellow man. We see all kinds of things which we refer to as quote-unquote evil. And when we attempt to understand and reconcile these things with the existence of God, the inevitable question which confronts us is, why does God allow evil? Or, if God exists, then why does evil exist? Or, if God is good then why does he permit evil? Eventually, because the evils we perceive continue, we begin to question the existence of God, or we become angry with God because evil happens, particularly when the perceived evil happens in our immediate life. We have difficulty explaining and understanding why God allows death, disease, war, hunger, hate, anger, inequity, and prejudice. We want to know why God does not prevent evil, or why he sits around doing nothing. Well, it's obvious that bad things happen every day. And even in the Christian life, People frequently question God or became angry with God over perceived evil. Why? Well, in order to get a better grasp on the answer to this question, we need to turn to God's Word, the Bible, which is the only source of sufficient authority on the subject. When we look at the totality of Scripture from cover to cover, we find that there are two viewpoints to look at and to understand evil. Number one, we see and understand evil and the existence or non-existence of God through the prism of secular humanism, atheism, or a flawed view of God. Number two, we see and understand evil and the existence of God through the revelation of God's Word, the Bible, in proper context. So, I propose that we examine the issues regarding God and evil, 
and we take care to determine which of the two viewpoints we are actually using when we try to understand evil. Issue number one, God and his attributes. If you will notice, all too often when people ask the questions of God and evil, they will frame the question like this. If God is good, then why does God allow evil? Or, how can a good God allow evil? In every case with this type of question, the underlying assumption is that the only character attribute which God possesses is to be quote-unquote good and that he does not possess any other attributes. Now, God is good, but this is not the only attribute which God possesses. The Bible reveals that God possesses many attributes, all of which are equally perfect including goodness, righteousness, holiness, justice, grace, mercy, love, and long-suffering, just to name a few. Now, historically, man is comfortable with a God who is nothing but love, grace, and mercy. In fact, God, and in particular Jesus, who is God in the flesh, gets historically portrayed as the embodiment of nothing but love. According to the secular world and the secular church, Jesus loves everybody and everything equally without any distinction. Conversely, God and or Jesus never hates anyone or anything. But the question is, is this really biblical? And the answer is no. The truth is God hates many things and does not love many things, including Satan, sin, rebellion, idolatry, adultery, immorality, pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, false witness, and more. Again, why? Well, because God has other attributes which are equally perfect, such as righteousness, justice, and holiness. And this is the problem. Mankind will welcome and approve God as long as God only exhibits positive attributes which benefit our desires of our heart. But the moment God attempts to exhibit his attributes of righteousness, justice, and holiness towards us, we immediately begin to question God. Issue number two, sin and our fallen nature. The reality is that according to Romans chapter 3 and many other passages, every human being has the fallen nature of sin. It does not matter how hard we try or what good things we do in our life or how comparatively good we are to any other person on earth. 
It does not matter how sincere we may be or how much we punish ourselves over our guilt. The bottom line is that from God's perspective, we have all sinned and we all fall short of God's glory. The only thing which God owes us and which we have earned according to Scripture is death and hell. Now, some will protest and say, It's not fair that I suffer and that my nature is corrupted and I am now in sin due to what Adam and Eve did. Why should I get punished now for what they did some 6,000 years ago? Okay, well, let's recall that Adam and Eve were created in God's image in perfect fellowship in the garden, and God declared it to be, quote-unquote, very good. However, Adam and Eve, despite God's warning that they would die, abandoned their covering image of God for the promise of knowledge of good and evil. At this point, when they did that, Adam and Eve's physical and spiritual DNA was now corrupt and fallen. All that they could do as husband and wife was to produce offspring, i.e. mankind, who now share the same fallen, corrupt DNA as they. Now, next, some will protest and ask, couldn't God have created mankind so that we did not have the ability to sin and thus avoid the evil we now see? Or, couldn't God have left the tree of the knowledge of good and evil out of the garden so Adam and Eve would not sin? Well, the answer to both questions is yes, God could have created Adam and Eve so that neither one had any ability to sin, to argue, to doubt, or to do anything other than what God programmed them to do. But the problem is that without the ability for mankind to choose, mankind is nothing more than robots. And in that scenario, we have no choice. We are programmed to trust and to love God. The subsequent problem with that is that without choice, the trust and the love that these robots exhibit would be meaningless. It would be forced and it would be worthless. Therefore, in order for trust, love, and fellowship between God and man to be meaningful, there must be choice. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that choice. Issue number three, the good news, a new nature. The good news is that because God is also merciful, loving, gracious, and good, he, for his own sovereign reasons, chooses some to redeem to himself. 
In order to fulfill all of his attributes, God voluntarily clothed himself as a man in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus, as fully God and fully man, did what no other human is capable of doing. Jesus lived a perfect life and satisfied all the requirements of God's righteousness and holiness. Jesus then died on our behalf to pay the price for all of our sins so that we don't have to. Jesus rose again and ascended to the Father where he forevermore intercedes on our behalf. Finally, God gives us a new nature through his Holy Spirit wherein when God looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness and his holiness and his finished work on the cross in which God is well pleased. So, if you think it's not fair that I suffer and that my nature is corrupted and I am now in sin to what Adam and Eve did, and you're asking yourself, why should I get punished now for what they did some 6,000 years ago? Well, now you can equally ask another question. How fair is it that you get rewarded and have a new nature given to you freely, due exclusively to what Jesus accomplished, when you have done nothing to deserve it? Issue number four, the origin of evil. It is important to properly place the origin of evil where it belongs. Evil and sin are all a result of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. God did not create evil. It is mankind who opened the door to sin and evil through our disobedience and mistrust of God. Sin, separation, evil, and death are all the logical consequences of a world and mankind separated from God. Remember, the tree that mankind decided to eat from is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, I am sorry, but in order to know evil, it must be experienced. And that is what mankind is presently doing by choice. Issue number five, the definition of evil. Now, while it may seem obvious, the question is, how do we define and identify what is quote-unquote evil? And let's face it, God and his word and the secular unregenerate world very often disagree on what constitutes good and evil. As a result, when a marginal Christian or the unregenerate world look at the circumstances of life, it is not uncommon for them to be confused, misguided, or wrong about what constitutes biblical evil versus some 
perceived evil according to worldly definitions. More often, evil is often labeled as evil and considered to be such simply because whatever is happening is happening to me or somebody I care about. And further, what is happening causes me to be unhappy. However, if we are going to attempt to connect God and whatever it is that we perceive as being quote-unquote evil, then it is critical that we define evil and its circumstances and any other terms with what the Bible says and not our own subjective feelings or opinions. Issue number six, a biblical perspective. As with everything else in life, circumstances, good or bad, must be perceived and evaluated according to God's word, the Bible. That being said, the major problem with reconciling evil is that we humans are finite. We know the past, we know the present, and if we are Christians, we have some revelation of the future according to God's word. But we are not God. We are not infinite. We are not privy to every nuance of God's plan for his creation, nor do we know every nuance of God's plan and purpose for what, how, when, or why he does what he does. When we look at God's revealed word, we can learn a lot about answering the questions of who, what, when, where, and why. For example, we know the following. 1. God has a finished plan made from the foundation of the world where sin and evil are vanquished. Number two, God is sovereignly in control of all things. Number three, God cannot change and he is faithful to perfectly demonstrate all of his attributes throughout redemptive history. Number four, in order to determine his righteousness, justice, and holiness, God permits the logical consequence of sin and the choices we make to sometimes bear the fruit of what we sometimes label as quote-unquote evil. Number five, in order to demonstrate his grace, mercy, love, and kindness, God pours out his blessings to us in manifold ways, despite the fact we don't deserve it. Number six, God pours out his general blessings on the good and the wicked alike. Number seven, God will pour out his wrath upon those who are in rebellion, sometimes presently as a logical consequence and then ultimately and completely at his final judgment. And finally, number eight, God will bless those who are his elect, sometimes temporarily, but ultimately and completely in eternity. Now, when I say lack of perspective, let's face it, 
the single greatest issue of the quote-unquote why, whatever evil it is that we're talking about, is that none of us is God. We all suffer from finite human myopia. We don't know what God's reasons and purposes are. As a result, when bad or evil things befall us, we assume various things. We assume, for example, that God does not care, or does not exist, or is defective, or that God is arbitrary. Because if this was not the case, then supposedly bad things would not happen. We default to being angry, despondent, or, or disbelieving in God because we believe we have been really good. We have been praying and going to church regularly. Perhaps we have sincerely been walking in faith as a biblical Christian due to constant prayer, and we have convinced ourselves that as a result, our desires are God's will. But the truth is that even the most sincere Christian can pray and walk in faith and sometimes the answer to our prayer is yes. Sometimes the answer is wait. And sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the hardest thing to deal with is to understand that the universe bows to God's will. And neither God's will the universe or the circumstances are obligated to bow to our will. Ultimately, we know that according to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that, quote, all things, that's all things, work together for good to them that love God, unquote. What this means is that God uses every small event in the stream of human history, including the events in our life, some of which we characterize as evil, to facilitate and to accomplish his overall goals and plans, which are good and perfect. Now, if we are being honest we can admit that we do not always like the details of what is presently happening, and we can rarely imagine, if at all, understand how certain things, particularly negative things, will eventuate God's overall plans. Nonetheless, we know that, according to Romans 8.28, that that is the case. That is the reality. Issue number seven, the here and now. As stated, one of, if not the greatest hindrances to understanding quote-unquote evil is our lack of perspective. Even now, in addition to the atheist and the secular humanist, there is a large segment of Christianity who labor under the delusion that heaven is supposed to be the here and the now, or that God owes us something. Whether we admit it or not, we wind up believing that God owes us a really long and healthy life, 
God owes us that our parents should love one another, remain married, and live to see our great-great-great-grandchildren. God owes us a loving, long marriage where we both live to be 110 years old and die together at the same time. God owes us many children, all of which will live to be parents and grandparents. And on it goes. But again, we live in a world fractured by sin and its effects. The Bible tells us plainly that we are pilgrims here on this earth en route to a heavenly world. We are told by Jesus to expect tribulation, persecution, and an unsaved world who hates God, the Bible, the things of God, and anyone who is a child of God. We are told that our hope and our joy is in Christ and his salvation and in the world to come. But however hard, however terrible the sin and evil are which confront us now, we know that according to Romans 8, 18, quote, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us." Unquote. Another difficulty for us finite humans is that God is eternal. He is without beginning or end. God is outside time and space, and he is not limited to our known dimensions or to the laws which we are limited to. This is a challenge for us to imagine and to understand. That being said, one shallow analogy would be to imagine yourself as the author of a book. Visualize that you have written the life story of some character who is born and who lives and who has a good ending. Now, for you as the author, you know the beginning the middle, and the end of the story that you have written. Whatever your story is, you know the who, what, when, where, and why of your story. Now, randomly insert your finger into your own imaginary book and pick a day in the life of your character and imagine that you are him and you are no longer the author of the book. In this case, the character of your book only knows the past and the present and only has hopes and dreams about the future. Let's say that your finger landed in chapter 3 and your character is walking down the sidewalk towards the college where they intend to enroll and eventually obtain a degree and go on to be a wealthy, happy, successful CEO of a company. Now, as the character is walking, he slips and he falls on the sidewalk and hits his head, causing him to black out. He's taken to the hospital where he's in a coma for six months, and he has to spend another six months learning to walk again when he awakens. Now, at this point, from the character's limited perspective, 
the character could label this event as quote-unquote evil and either question or become angry with God because of his situation. But, from the author's perspective, perhaps the author sees another possible set of circumstances where the character in this book, where if the character in this book had continued walking down the same sidewalk and not tripped and fallen, he would have inevitably come to an intersection where he was hit by a speeding car and he was killed instantly. Perhaps this is not the desire of the author. Instead, the author uses another circumstance wherein the character, in fact, does fall and does go to the hospital. And during that year of recuperation and therapy, the author brings circumstances into the character's life, such as meeting certain people, getting to read certain books and materials, getting time for education, uh, getting a better appreciation for life in general. And perhaps because of all these events which the author facilitates through the fall, a door opens in the character's life where instead of being a CEO and instead of getting hit by a car and dying, he is now in an even better situation which he could never have imagined or planned for. Now, this is exactly the reality presented by Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which again says, quote, All things work together, even this imaginary fall in this book where the character goes to the hospital and is in a coma and takes six months of therapy to walk again. Even these things work together, those things which are temporally seen and viewed as evil or bad, are in fact those things which sometimes God actually uses as part of his sovereign plan for his overall good for those who love him. In fact, as we look at scripture, what we learn is that it is impossible it is impossible to escape God's sovereign will and his plan for good and that we are provided as God's elect according to his sovereign will and plan to ultimately be with him in the fullness of joy unspeakable in his presence forever. Admittedly, we are not privy to the chapter on the why presently. But eventually, if so be we live in faith and trust in Christ, the time will come when all things are made clear and we will understand why. Not only so, but we will know that what God has done in our lives is good and perfect, and we will give him honor and praise for what he has done. Now, the alternative to that for the atheist and for the humanist and for the unregenerate is to live under the belief that evil and bad things are all the result of evolution. Everything that happens is simply random chance and accident. 
All of the evils of this world have no meaning. Death has no meaning. Life has no meaning. Life is a roll-of-the-dice crapshoot where we are born, we win some, we lose some, we find temporary happiness, we face suffering, disease, adversary, and eventual death. When we die, that's it. Game over. Nothing more. But under God and according to Scripture, sin and evil have a purpose. They have a resolution which does not exist without God. The good news is that if so be we abide in a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, then we have the following assurance of Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, which says, quote, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, unquote. So ultimately, when we look at life, we need to remember this world and the present time are not eternity. Regardless of how bad or evil things may presently seem to be, now is not the end result. Now is not eternity. God lives outside eternity, and God knows the conclusion from the beginning. Issue number eight. Why not stop evil? Some will say, why doesn't God stop evil, or at least limit it to really bad people? Well, first of all, let's recall that from God's perspective, compared to Him, which is the standard, there are no good people. We have all sinned, and there is none that is good. If you want God to be fair, and to be just, then by that standard alone, we all deserve hell. It is only because God is merciful, loving, and kind that he chooses some, by his grace, to obtain salvation. Secondly, let's recall that God is not the one creating or causing evil. Mankind abandoned God and became captive to a fallen world under the power of Satan, whose goal is to kill, to steal, and destroy all that he can. This is the origin and power of sin and evil we see, not God. The only way for God to stop evil is for God to conquer sin and to remove Satan and all those who are in rebellion to him. Thus far, 
God has already sent his son to cover the sin of all those whom God has or will sovereignly choose to receive Christ's covering grace for our sin. By his continued grace and our faith in his finished work, we are given power to live victorious lives where eventually his work of sanctification in our lives will eventuate in his elect being glorified completely into the image, nature, and stature of Christ when we stand before him in eternity. Eventually, at God's appointed time, God will destroy sin and throw Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all those who reject Christ and his atoning work into the lake of fire. But as stated, now is not the time. Now, for the present, Satan is still the prince of the power of the air, and he is still responsible for the ever-present and worsening sin and evil which we experience. Issue number nine, is there a purpose to evil? Ultimately, we humans need reasons as to why things happen. Because we don't know and we are not privy to the why of things, we get frustrated, we get angry, we charge God foolishly, we lose patience and sometimes we lose faith or we refuse to believe. But how often do we stop to think about all of the things which we take for granted and fail to give thanks, praise, and honor to God for? As stated, we assume that we are due. We assume that God owes us. We assume that the good things of life come as a result of luck, accident, or our own merits. Then, when things are not perfect, when things are not as desired, when negative things happen, we blame God. But again, we fail to see or recognize an entire universe of spiritual eternity where decisions, behavior, and faith, or lack thereof, have consequence. More importantly, let's ask, how does an infinite God who desires fellowship with man go about determining who actually trusts, who actually loves, and who actually has confidence in him? I mean, if everything is easy, if everything is obvious, if there's nothing to challenge us, then exactly how do we grow stronger? Where is the value of faith and trust when no faith and trust is required? Even in this life, if I really want to know if my children love and trust me, then the only way I can really know for certain is if when they are challenged by other competing sources in which to trust. The more alternatives and the more tempting the alternatives are, then the more I know my children love and trust me when they choose to do so. In fact, the more challenges that there are 
and the more difficult that the challenges are, then the more potential there is for my children to grow in their love and trust of me. But the bottom line is that without challenges, without difficulties, without temptation, persecution, suffering, and evil at all, then the values of trust, love, faith, endurance, confidence, etc. remain shallow and or non-existent. This is the purpose of evil and suffering. God does not create, nor is he responsible for evil. Satan, sin, and rebellion are responsible. But God can and does utilize things which we characterize as evil, and he provides his grace, his power, his assurance, his comfort, as well as his guarantee for those who are his elect, that we will overcome and have victory, and that the process of endurance and suffering will bring greater sanctification and intimacy with God, provided that we have trust and faith in God. Issue number 10, looking back. One of the most difficult aspects of evil is that we all too often tend to spend our time focusing on feeling sorry for ourselves and others regarding what has or is happening. We become consumed with the why me and the what have I done to deserve this questions. We get lost in the here and now. We believe as if God owes us and we forget that we live in a world beset by sin and evil, which we have brought upon ourselves. We have difficulty recognizing that God is working on his own timetable to reconcile his elect to himself and to destroy sin and the evil that causes it forever. We forget that there is a process and that everything that happens is moving to accomplish God's plan. The sin, the evil, the suffering, and the pain we experience are very real and they often leave scars. There is no way to candy coat things or to pretend that they don't exist because they do. But here's the difference. Here's the good news. Unlike the atheist, unlike the humanist, unlike any other worldly philosophy or religion, we who are God's elect, his church, have the promise, the hope, and the faithful guarantee of victory over sin and evil. If so be that we are have an abiding relationship of faith in Jesus Christ, then we know that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth where sickness, sorrow, grieving, death, sin, and evil are no more. The former things are passed away. God himself will hold us each and every one in his arms and will wipe away every tear. We are told that, quote, I hath not seen nor ear heard, 
nor hath it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him, unquote. We will live in perfect joy unspeakable with Christ for all eternity. I don't know exactly when God will accomplish this. I don't know exactly how God is capable of forever removing all sorrow and grief of the here and now. But I do know that I have no desire to forsake that which I know of God for that which I do not know. What I do know is that based upon the sufficiency of Scripture, and based upon what God has already accomplished historically, which he predicted in Scripture, anywhere from 300 to 2,000 or more years before it happened, that God has a 100% accurate track record. God is trustworthy and faithful to fulfill that which he has promised. No other book in human history, other than the Bible, has a 100% track record. None. So, if God is 100% faithful to accomplish his past promises, then you and I have every reason to know that God will accomplish his future promises. Therefore, by God's grace, regarding evil, regarding suffering and persecution and all that it brings, God's faithfulness and his goodness bring me the knowledge where I come to the place where by the help of the Holy Spirit shed abroad in our hearts that you and I can say, as did Job, Though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. This concludes this episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. The world.